I want to um, welcome you guys. Uh, my name is uh, Shaq Hager. Most of you guys know me. For those who don't know me, um, I just want to extend uh, a warm welcome to you this morning. Uh, for those who are joining uh, with us the first time, I just also extend a warm welcome to you. Um, and I would love to get together. I know coffee is like a pastoral kind of thing, um, but if coffee is not your space, uh, we can get tea, we can get lunch, whatever it is. And um, I'm serious about that. So you can email me, you can call me, uh, I'll put my number out there to service. Um, and also anyone else who has been with Garden City for uh, since we launched, and I haven't got with you, haven't made time for you, please also uh, hit me up as well. And I would love to get some time with you as, as to getting together. So as we breathe. Uh, this morning, I want to introduce a familiar word to all of us. Um, it's the word home. So I know a couple of weeks ago, I asked us to uh, engage our imagination. So I want to invite us back into that space. So if we can posture ourselves in our seats and sit in our own bodies and just whatever posture is, if you want to close your eyes, whatever space you want to get into thinking about this word home, I want to ask you a couple questions. What images and good memories are connected to describe the word home? What disturbs you? What brings up Sadness, what excites you? What do you feel? So I'm gonna give you about 10 seconds to engage your imagination of this word home. Whether it's from childhood or whether it's from now, think about the word home. Okay, that was a little weird for most of us to have a moment of silence. In your own time, I, I encourage you to process your experience around this word home for you. For me growing up, home meant many things. It was a place of community, place of adventure. Um, just recently, I was telling Kenny that when I was younger, my brother and I would sing the temptation songs in a mirror to the point where we were fighting over, uh, well, you know, the spotlight. And then we broke the mirror at one point in our, uh, in our childhood. But there was moments where we sang a lot as kids. I'm not a good singer, but I, I sang a lot in my home. But also my home was disturbed. We moved to five different homes when I was a child. We moved from Northview Heights to Brighton Heights. We moved to Perrysville, to Chautauqua Street. We moved to all these different places. Also, my home was strict. My mom was a single mom. She had to be the nurturer and the authoritative parent. 
So we were very strict. My house was a house of rules. And lastly, my house was neat. My mom made sure we had a lot of chores and we everything about our house was neat and tidy. It was never any cups on the table without a cup holder or a little uh, coaster underneath. It was, it, was, it was neat. My mom's house was neat. It doesn't matter what language you speak or what history you lived in or what culture you have been raised in or the socioeconomic background. We all are familiar with this word home. It is deeply ingrained in humanity. It is deeply ingrained in the human heart. Home means everything to us. Home is what parents pursue to nurture and build their families. It's a place where our stories begin. It's the place where we begin to imagine our purpose and meaning in the world. See, home is just more than a house or a geographic location, but it's a place where things are safe, good, and right. Of course, sometimes home is romanticized in sentimental Hallmark Christmas movies. For those who watch them, it has scenes of fake snow, finding true love in the span of an hour, predictable endings, and single-handedly saving Christmas. Home in those films are a little too perfect and doesn't match reality. Although home is supposed to be a place where things are safe, good, and right, sometimes even the best homes don't live up to the ideal. For many of us, the thought of home speaks of deep hurt and pain. Many of you, home is a place of conflict, a place of stress, a place of abuse, a place of unmet expectation, a place of competitiveness where you have to perform to gain approval or love, a place of rigid beliefs which can sometimes be coded as life sucks, but I cannot say that out loud. Or unsettling due to eviction and life circumstances. But just because we never lived in a home where things didn't meet the ideal or are as right as we want them to be and as safe and comforting as we need them to be, this does not mean a safe, good, and right home has to be a distant reality. Despite the brokenness we experience, home is supposed to be the place where our parents model love and forgiveness towards one another than to you. Home is supposed to be the place where we can disconnect from the world and connect with those we love. Home is supposed to be the place where you are accepted and supported through hardship and weakness. Home is to always supposed to be a place that is safe, good, and right. This language points us to our theme that God is actively preparing a safe, 
good and right home for us, even in our wandering. Say that again. God is actively preparing a safe, good, and right home for us, even in our wandering. Let's pray. God, I pray that you will speak to us, even as we are in our homes right now. Whether that space is a place of conflict, stress, abuse, unmet expectation, Lord, I pray that you will meet us in that space. I pray, Lord God, that your word would speak to our hearts, that it would motivate our hearts towards the kingdom that you are bringing to us, Lord God. Help me speak your word carefully. Help us listen carefully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'll give you some time to flip to Exodus 23. We will be reading from verses 20 to 33. Um, you can use your phone. You can use an actual Bible. It doesn't matter. I'll give you about three seconds to find that for you, and then I'll start reading. Okay, starts off like this. See, I am sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place I have prepared for you. Pay close attention to him and obey his instructions. Do not rebel against him, for he is my representative and he will not forgive your rebellion. But if you are careful to obey him, following all my instructions, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, and I will oppose those who oppose you. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites. So you may live there, and I will destroy them completely. You must not worship the gods of those nations or serve them in any way or imitate their evil practices. Instead, you must utterly destroy them and smash their sacred pillars. You must serve only the Lord your God. And if you do, I will bless you with food and water, and I will protect you from illness. There will be no miscarriages or infertility in your land, and I will give you long, full lives. I will send my terror ahead of you and create panic among all the people who land you invade. I will make all your enemies turn and run. I will send terror ahead of you and drive out the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Hittites. I will not dry them out in a single year because the land will become desolate and the wild animals will multiply and threaten you. I will drive them out in a little at a time until your population has increased enough to take possession of the land. And I will fix your boundaries from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the Eastern wilderness to the Euphrates River. I will hand over to you the people now living in the land and I will give them, and I will give, and I will drive them out ahead of you. Make no treaties with them or other gods. You must not live in your land. They must not live in your land, or they will cause you to sin against me. If you serve their gods, you will be caught in the trap of adultery. In Exodus 23, we come to the conclusion of God's instruction given to his people on Mount Sinai. He is communicating to them his expectations for living in community with him and one another. So as we transition 
to verse 20 to 33, he is now giving them promises. Not just ordinary promises, but the promise to lead them through the wilderness and bring them into the land of their own. In the opening verse, God interjects the word, behold. It's a word of wonder and contemplation. See, God is trying to capture the attention of the reader and Israel to something particularly worthy of observation. He tells them, I am sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place I have prepared for you. For us to dive deeper in the context of this historical moment, we must answer these four questions. One, who is this angel? Two, what is the role of the angel? Three, what are the Israelites how are the Israelites called to respond in connection to this angel? And four, how are we called to respond in light of this scripture? So question one, who is this angel? People who don't believe in God like to believe in angels. It is comforting to think that there is someone watching out for us, someone who is supernaturally has power and have special access to God. See, angels continue to fascinate us. We can find readings on angels, TV shows about angels, or even an MLB team named the Los Angeles Angels. The list goes on. So when we read about an angel in Exodus 23, the, ex the ex existence of angels doesn't feel uncomfortable. And so, we are more readily able to accept this appearance. We met this angel of the Lord before in the story of God's people. This angel has been deeply involved in Israel's redemption throughout Exodus. The angel was there at Moses' call at the burning bush and was involved in Israel's redemption. In Exodus 14, Verse 19 and 20, it says, Then the angel of God, who has been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptians and Israel's camp. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israel, Israelites did not approach each other all night. And now, in verse 20, we find the angel is present again to go before them, to guard them and guide Israel on the next journey um, towards Canaan. How ironic is that? But as we continue to read these verses, there is something strange about God's description to Moses that tells us that this is no ordinary angel. In verse 21, God says, do not rebel against him, for he is my representative, and he will not forgive your rebellion. The angel has the authority to forgive sin. This is a status that belongs only to God. See, the more I kept reading this over and over, it reminded me of Mark's gospel 
when religious leaders were opposing Jesus' ministry and saying, who can forgive sin but God alone? I had that same question in my mind of who can forgive sin but God alone? So who was this guiding, guarding angel who acted for God, spoke for God, and held the power of forgiveness? Whoever he was, he bore God's very name. For God said, for he is my representative. Or in other translation, it says, for my name is in him. God gave this messenger his divine name. See, God's name is not just a name, but it's more than a name. It speaks of his divine nature, divine character, divine attributes. This angel was so closely associated with God as to be identified with him. Who is this angel? See, most scholars believe this is a theophany, a very theological term referred to as an appearance of a pre-incarnate Christ. Whether this is the right interpretation or not, the angel of the Exodus certainly points us to Christ. And we'll answer that question later. Question two, what is the role of the angel? In verse 20, the Lord tells us the role of the angel is to protect and lead Israel safely to the promised land. This is more than simply saying that God is with his people. He is their buffer, their shield going before them. Next, the scriptures tells us based on Israel's obedience to the angel, God will become an enemy to Israel's enemies and an opposer to those who oppose Israel. In verse 22 to 23, he says, but if you are careful to obey him, meaning the angel, following all my instructions, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will oppose those who oppose you. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, so you may live there, and I will destroy them completely. Continuing with the role of the angel, God says this in verse 27 and 28. I will send my terror ahead of you and create panic among all people whose, lie, whose land you invade. I will make all your enemies turn and run. I will send my terror ahead of you to drive out the Hittites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites. See, you're probably like me in this, in this time of, what did he mean by his terror? I sat with that, I wrestled with that, and I was scratching my head at this particular scripture. But this terror is the report that Canaan will hear of God's dealings with the Egyptians and run for cover. It is made clear earlier in Exodus 15, when Moses and Miriam are singing a worshipful song after they cross the Red Sea. In verse 14 and 16, it says this the people hear. And tremble, anguish grips those who live in Philistia, 
The leaders of Edom are terrified. The nobles of Moab tremble. All who live in Canaan melt away. Terror and dread fall upon them. The power of your arm makes them lifeless as stones until your people pass by. O Lord, until the people you purchase pass by. The first thing that the nations will see as Israel approaches is not Israel's spears. It's not their armor or their chariots or their horses, but Israel's God. Years later, in Joshua chapter 2, we read that Rahab the prostitute told the Israelite spies this, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And she lives in Canaan. She heard the dealings of God towards the Egyptians. See, God will lead the charge for his people. He will have the victory. He will be the one to do the conquering, the handing over, and the driving out. And he will accomplish that through the angel of the Lord. Again, he will have the victory. He will lead the charge. He will be the one conquering and handing over and driving out. And this will be accomplished through the angel of the Lord. So how are the Israelites called to respond in connection to this angel? Beginning in verse 21, the people are told to listen carefully to what the angel says and obey him. They had to give him their absolute obedience. To listen to the angel was to listen to God. To rebel against the angel was to rebel against God. It is worth mentioning that the command to obey and the list of consequences of either obedience and disobedience are given to Israel after they have been redeemed. The warning to obey is only appropriate to people who have already become God's children. Peter Enns once said, obedience is not a condition for salvation, but expect it for those who are saved and redeemed. Therefore, obeying the angel is a requirement. It's an expectation for God's people to obey this messenger. And this requirement has two parts. The first one is redemption. Listening to the angel will result in the nation being driven out of Canaan. And the second one is proper worship. By worshiping God alone, by smashing the pillars in this land, Israel will do more than possess the land, but they will enjoy it and live life to its fullest. He says this in verse 24 to 26, you must not worship the gods of those nations. Not only that, but you not serve them in any way. 
or imitate their evil practice. Instead, you must utterly destroy them and smash their sacred pillars. You must serve the Lord your God only. And if you do, I will bless you with food and water, and I will protect you from illness. There will be no miscarriages or infertility in your land, and I will give you long, full lives. God knew that this would be a problem for his people, a huge temptation to serve other gods other than him. So he calls them back to the first commandment again, love the Lord your God only. Love me most, love me only. I am a jealous God. Love no other, love me. So again, he calls them back to serving him only, to worship him only, and to forsake other gods in other lands. So a lot of teaching there, and many of you are asking this question, which leads to question four. How are we called to respond in light of this scripture? What does this even mean to my life? My life is in chaos. What does this have to do with anything about my Christian walk? In all these ways, the, the angel of the Exodus points us to the messenger of our salvation today. We don't look back at the abiding presence of the angel with the Israelites inside for the good old days. But the angel is more deeply felt now than ever before. It's the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit that is always with us. See, long before Jesus' incarnation, long before he was born in Bethlehem, Christ was with his people on the way to salvation. He didn't just come and enter into our lives once he became a baby or became a human, but he'd been with us before creation existed. Friends, our redemptive stories don't end once we become saved and redeemed. But Christ is with us at every step of our journey. Whatever life throws our way, he is carrying us home. See, this story should encourage us in our spiritual pilgrimage. Like the uh, Israelites in the wilderness, as they're traveling, as we are traveling, his abiding presence is still with us. His presence still goes before us. He is still speaking to us. He is still calling us to obedience and devotion. He is still waging war with our enemies that seek to destroy our bodies and spirits. He is still leading us and leading his people to a home that is safe, good, and right. A home that no death will be no longer remembered. A home where no tears, sadness, and pain will be there. A home that is full of justice and righteousness. A home that is free from darkness and sin. A home where we are re reunited with loved ones, saved loved ones. A home where there is perfect rest. A home where there is new bodies and a new mind. A home where there is no 
boredom, but everlasting joy and satisfaction. A home where all our needs are met. Our home where we can rule together with Christ. Our home where we shall see God face to face. Oh, don't you long for that day where we can see him face to face. And he will not stop until we are found and secure. And it's not just about this heavenly place of, of, of attaining, and, but it's about who is there with us, who is in the land with us. Yes, heaven is great, but more greater is heaven with Jesus, right? That's the better thing. And this is a certain promise for us, just as the promised land is for the Israelites. It's not a conditional promise, but it's an unconditional promise where Jesus has went before us, paid it all on the, on the cross, bled for us, you and me in the world, by saying, I will go before you. I will prepare a land for you. And John 14, 1 to 3, Jesus said this already. He's already entered and prepared a way for us. He says this. Friends, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If there was not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Sounds a lot like this angel, right? For whatever, when everything is ready, when the place is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you will know the way to where I am going. Friends, he has prepared a place for us. So as we limp into glory, as we go through hardship and suffering and injustice, and COVID, all the things of this world that it, it, it strikes our bodies as we limp into glory, he reminds us that he is actively preparing a safe, good, right home for us, even in our wandering. So be encouraged, because I am. Let's pray. Mm. God, we ache to be home with you. We love that you are here with us on this earth, that you have been carrying us all the way through to the end. But we are homesick. We know that this place is not our home. And Lord, you said to us, do not let our hearts be troubled. And for many of us, Lord, our hearts are troubled. Remind us, Lord God, that you have went before us to prepare a place for us. That this is not the end. That this 
place of brokenness and sin is not what we all will see, but our eyes will be enlightened to the glory that you will reveal to us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.